Hi, and welcome to another episode of Unhinged History, the podcast where two podcasters have not talked about whether inchworms are named inchworms in other countries that do not use inches. I am your host, Teresa, and that is Angie. And now I'm curious about what an inchworm <laughs> is called in another country doesn't use it. I will say that I cracked up about a review for our podcast that we recently got where it talked about how, unfortunately for dear listeners, there's a lot of banter. <laughs> if you like that sort of thing, um, then you're going to love this. But the reviewer suggested that we edit our scripts to which I cackled, sent this screenshot to Angie and said, they think we have scripts. To be clear, we do not have scripts. No, no. We have notes. And I have improv. notes that I bring to Angie. And I'm like, Angie, let me tell you this tale. Angie has never heard it before. And Angie's got a tale that I have never heard before. And we... And copious notes, despite what some of you all think. <laughs> copious notes. And copious, in my case, amount of margarita that have gone into the recording of this this podcast. There's no margarita in my cup today, sadly. Well, Angie is raw-dogging it through life because one of us has to. Well, the hubs, ah, as you Ah, you did it again. <laughs> my husband is not at Angie's house. There will be no conspiracy <laughs> theories in this one. Sorry about that, guys. To make it confusing, the man mm. has elected to take the wee one to his school dance tonight. But that means that I will have to elect to pick him up. Because fair, fair trades, fair trades, right? Like that's how it works. So, yep. And he is very excited about the school dance. He's the husband, dressed. the kid, the man, <laughs> the, the man, kid, the is, kid. That makes sense. The, the man goes either way about it. He does like a good school dance. Yeah, I mean, he did when he was younger. Anyway, he hasn't been to one in twenty years. <laughs> so, kiddo school has a DJ that I swear to you was born to be an elementary school DJ. Dude brings a. He has his own bubble machine, par for of the course. course. He has a smoke machine. We expect these things. He brings a leaf blower that has a toilet paper attachment on the end. <laughs> and he leaf blows an entire roll of three-ply. And the kids oh freaking lose it. That it would have the... been gold in 2020 right there. No, I mean, that would have just been flaunting your wealth exactly you know like <laughs> what costco did you go to sir yeah like look at you but i mean there wouldn't have been this in-person school dance you would have been lame yeah you could roll that toilet paper back up after your zoom party and <laughs> go tp your friend's house in the dark just so, so you can go outside i am so flipping excited to tell you the story that i want to tell you okay like so flipping excited because I figured out how to get the sources I needed to get to make my story intelligible and longer than three paragraphs. And well, that's the best, right? I mean, I do what I can, but it involved me going through such lengths to get to my home county's regional newspaper and how I could get to the archived articles. And okay. I went and I was like, okay, well, I just need to get a library card in the county. Not a problem. I go to the library. I go to Merced County's website 
And I can't, I go to input my address, but it defaults to a California state. I was like, but I do not have a California state address. That's weird. These are things. And so it's just like, well, I can't go through that. And so I end up like getting 72 hour access to the Merced Sunstar. And I was able to get enough detail to make this viable. That is hilarious because I too had to get access to the British Archive of Newspaper Records for my story. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this is good. I was so afraid you were going to say the Merced Sunstar. I was going to be like, no, we did it. We did it this time. No, I try very hard. Like, I, I really appreciate that you bring me stories from your region. So I have yet to come across one that you haven't already told me. Mm-hmm. So so in my mind, I have purpose that should I ever find something, I'm I'm not going to share it because I want for you to. And I'm not even going to read past that yeah. this happened in the state of Oregon. <laughs> like the Central Valley is off limits to you. Yeah. Oregon and Washington dead to rights as far as you're concerned. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, maybe one day I will tell you like the story of the the tunnels we have here, but like gold gold country stories are fun, but they're not very long typically. Right. So well, and that was my problem um, with this, but with all that said, do you want me to tell you the story of the haunted plane at Castle Air Museum? If you do not, I will be so upset. Okay, uh in Castle, that... wait, you have a Castle Air Museum? In Atwater. Atwater, California. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, but I okay. So you you might have heard some of this, but I guarantee I don't think so. So that's why I'm so confused. So, Castle Air Museum is in Atwater, California. It was decommissioned when I was in fourth grade. It was a sad time because my friend Tracy moved away because her family was active duty. Bad news bears for those growing for those growing up in the time. Um, My sources: three articles from the Merced Sunstar. Ghosts Aren't Gone by Diana Levy. Merced Has Its Fair Share of Ghost Stories by Brianna Calix. Museum Spirit Takes Makes Messes, Another Cleans Up by At Mall by Patty Guerrera. Ghosttrackers.org, Castle Air. Ghost oh, oh. Trackers and California or Central California Paranormal Investigators Investigate the Castle Air Museum with KFSN Channel 30 News Crew. If that's not the longest headline I have ever heard in my life. That is exactly how you can tell that it was someone's private blog. <laughs> the Castle Air Museum receipt. What? That... Whoa, what? We'll take what I was we gonna... I've got a couple more. I mean. Go. I, I went hard on this one. <laughs> the Castle Air Museum receives the Ghost Trackers Haunted Award for having a haunted B-29. And last but not least, thewandering.com has a very interestingly worded article, The Ghost and the Haunted B-29 by Adam Osborne. I love every word. Yeah. So I did spend a significant amount of time growing up in the Central Valley of California, and I spent a decent amount of that time at Castle Air Force Base. I wonder if we ever crossed paths. We very easily could have. My hair was brown during that time. I blended in with the rest of the field mice. So it was mine. Weird. (laughs) It is weird thinking about it and recognizing we both have very identifiable hair colors. Yeah, we do. 
So when I would hang out on base, it, when it was in operation, it would be because my grandfather typically took me there. They had a commissary, they had air shows, there were lots of fun things happening. But even after it closed, they had the air museum, which uh, you can understand this as a bunch of dirt covered planes that my family liked staring at for hours in 110 degree heat, because that's what as, you do when it's going to hit 115. You yeah. Yeah, you can. <laughs> so we didn't have uh, school field trips here. And to me, it was it was pretty boring, except for there's two planes that they got me going. There was the SR-71 Blackbird, which was the spy plane that is visible right as you drive by, like it is mm -hmm. right there on the Santa Fe. And then there was another one right, called, or it was a B-29, and it was named Raisin Hell. It had a pen-up girl painted on the side of it. It was fairly scandalous yes! to me. Oh, yes. I remember loving her. Yep. Uh-huh. And to make it better, it was the tour guide telling me it was haunted. So I'm going to tell you the story about Arthur, the ghost that haunts that plane. <laughs> I love Arthur already. <laughs> so the B-29 named Raisin Hell, uh, as its plane's nose art indicates, is actually made up of three separate aircraft. So all are B-29s and they all hail from the Naval's Weapon Center located at China Lake. And for whatever reason, one of the news articles I read said that it was important to understand that as far as the reporter understood, none of these planes were involved in medical testing, but all of them, all three had been blown to hell and th the three were combined into one plane. But so, not through medical testing. Good to know we're not, not yeah, we're not well, it, air aircraft. Yeah, I mean... You know, it's it's good to know that it's just been shot to hell and not blown up with a nuclear bomb. So one of the stories about this plane is that the restoration crew was going to look at the electrical system of the plane to see if they could get it running in any way. Or the landing lights, you know, they were going to do something with the electrical. Um, the person, a person that worked on that plane, it was his day off. He was driving by the Air Museum on his way home and he noticed that the running lights were on. And so the next day he stops by and he's congratulating the crew because he could easily see it on his way home from work or his, on his day off. And they're like, we, we weren't even working on him. He we goes, well, that's, that's freaking weird. Like I saw that as I drove by. And so there's several instances of things like reports of a shadowy figure that's seen moving around the cockpit only to find that no one was or had been in the plane. There's reports of a person working in the plane and asking his buddy to hand him a wrench. And he gets the wrench in his hand and he does this thing. And then he realizes that his coworker is outside and he sees him through a porthole. And it's not easy to get out of the plane. Like you couldn't hand somebody the wrench and then jump out super fast. Okay. So right. he's like, uh, ha mm? Mm? excuse me. Yeah, pretty much. And so that has led to questions of whether this ghost nicknamed Arthur has given people a hand, you know, um, more recently, the employees that run the museum, they took an early morning picture of the plane raisin hell, and they found a colored shape that appears to be the outline of a person. Okay. And they're just like, that is really weird. Like, I'll show you, I'll show you it real quick. Oh. Huh. Now you take photos. 
yeah okay so <laughs> it's got like a triangular into it but what is particularly interesting is the colors used uh in photography that can range from there there are reasons why that could happen from the way the light hit the lens the way the light bounced off the mirror if there was something nearby for it to reflect yeah so like the basic gist is any number of different things can can happen to even today on digital cameras can happen to create this but all that to say it does look i wouldn't even say human shaped or human figured it looks like this is gonna sound so um 19th century occultist. It, it looks like a presence <laughs> like so it's just is... a spiritual entity is what That's you're saying what it... yes thank you a spiritual entity that is perfect <laughs> that is my ectoplasm leeching through the film yeah okay could be yeah okay so it's about, you know, every year around this time that a group of reporters tend to descend on Castle Air Base and they go to the museum and they bring ghost trackers or paranormal investigators or people of some such ilk. And for this <laughs> instance, refer to them as ilk. <laughs> I mean, I didn't call them elk. I used ilk. <laughs> no, you're right. You used it right. It's just. Uh, book series I'm reading uses that term a lot. Oh. So it made me laugh. It, I almost want to ask, like, in what capacity... I'm not going to ask what capacity, because that's going to derail this podcast, and we should edit the script. So there's a group of ghost hunters for at least this this year that join TV personality Anita Kissy on the KFSN News Channel for their Halloween episode. And they bring in another group, the Central California Paranormal Investigators, who are disappointments to their entire families, or so I probably believe, to join them for this investigation. And they have introductions with the television presence, and they interview employee of the museum, Karen Machin and Tom Cavarello, a volunteer and retired pilot, about the hauntings of the B-29 in question. And they bring up the fact that, you know, Raisin Hell is a composite aircraft of three total planes. And despite the fact that all of the working electronical components were removed, it leaves no possibility that anything can turn on on this plane. They have problems and things that, that happen. Hmm. They intently listen to Karen, you know, the, the museum employee, and her telling a story about how she had taken a picture of the um, plane, the KC-97, for a guest who wasn't able to visit the museum. And she's going to mail it to him. And that's when she took that picture that I, I showed you. That was actually the, the KC-97. So she she credits that with being Arthur. Um, the news crew's investigation, they decide to contact Arthur using sensitive equipment was it an Xbox Connect? You know, they don't tell you, right? They say Thanks. they use sensitive equipment and they use scientific method, but they describe what none of that is. And so you're required to either take it at face value or discount it all as a giant hoax. 
Ah, a good old hoax. A good old hoax. And so they begin talking to Arthur, the ghost of the B-29. And the, the team asks Arthur to complete a series of tasks that they don't elaborate on. And they explain <laughs> that the tasks were completed to their satisfaction without explaining what the tasks were so we could understand how difficult they were or were not. They said, quote, this very controlled scientific situation gave us very good evidence that leads us to believe we have made contact with Arthur or whomever the entity that was in the plane with us that night. That's it. That's all you get. That's all you get. Oh, okay. End of article. Good night. Okay. All okay. right. I guess we're taking so, it at face value that Arthur turned the lights on. Or, or didn't. didn't. Or <laughs> allowed the breeze to blow by the plane. We don't know. Um, but 2009, the Merced Sun Star has another article where Diana Levy conducts another ghost investigation. They use a Geiger counter. Oh, okay. So, I mean, that measures radiation apropos of nothing in the aircraft. The aircraft, the clicks speed up and the warbling speak as the device was placed on the radio. So the gutted radio has no working parts, but they place it there and they notice some kind of interference, which seems apropos of nothing the flashlight slowly dims and brightens and when we brought out our brand new radio recorder the mysteriously freshly charged batteries had drained to empty and gloria young the chief ghost hunter and founder of ghost trackers a non-profit paranormal research group let me pause real quick are they (laughs) non-profit because they're 501c3 or it just not recognized any revenue (laughs) because they no longer have a website i can tell you that much that makes me so sad do they work on charity i have questions i'm sure their parents believe that they're cherokee cases (laughs) the look on your face as you said that I mean, I'm just imagining my child coming out as a paranormal investigator. (laughs) What could be worse? (laughs) Literally nothing. Like, love who you love. Be an artist. However you want to wear it. Don't come at me as a paranormal investigator. If you're going to, could you at least have a semi-regular day job? Like, literally, if you study aliens, you can still get a job at NASA. In fact, at least it's respectable. Yeah. Like, I could spin this. I could marketing spin this up. But you come at me as a paranormal investigator. And you do not have a PhD from Oxford or um, the profiling capabilities of Fox Mulder. Like, no, (laughs) nothing. Nothing will help you. So anyhow, the chief ghost hunter. Gloria Young says, we told you this would happen. I have thoughts. I have feelings. Gloria, you ain't helping your case. So this is from the, the 5013C that or 5013C. Oh, my God. It is a 5013C. <laughs> they are a nonprofit, or at least were back in 2009. Um, and she's, they, she's the, in head, the head of it, right? Yeah. And she's yeah, throwing okay. shade like, we told you. We told you. Bringing your okay. fresh batteries. We told you we didn't have to take. So we see the ghost trackers, that Santa Clara-based team from the previous article, they populate again. 
Um, they also don't have a functioning website anymore, or at least one that I could find. So these are things. Um, they respond with, oh, yes, he's here, says Oh, yes, he's here, said Caroline Venable, the secretary of Castle Air Museum Foundation Board of Directors. He's mischievous. He isn't a mean ghost. He laughs at us. I'm going to be sitting here playing with light switches like I'm not paying the electricity bill. That's what I'm going to be doing. Because you're not. So, like, win that. Right. Yeah. You and the ghost that haunts your basement. Honestly, we try to tell my daughter there is a ghost that haunts her basement. (laughs) We tell her that that's her brother. Oh, you are such a creep. <laughs> it's really my husband that does that. I just go, oh, mm-hmm. Mike, just bring him food. Oh, he just wants the goldfish. Yeah, just bring him a snack and a cup of water. Anyhow. Fine. So over the years, people have reported strange things happening at this museum. They talk about the running lights on the plane and the plane has no electricity. Um, they spot a vague figure in the cockpit. There's tales about the tools moving, you know, like the wrench and whatnot. Um, at some point they talked about a seance being conducted as you do. It all consists that, or suggests that there's a former gunner that still lives inside the plane. Now, some say gunner, but in another article, he's a radio man. So nobody can keep their story straight. (laughs) And, Another place talks about how Arthur makes him known himself known in various ways. And they talk about how drivers going by on Santa Fe Avenue, they can see the lights on his plane. Again, doesn't have power, so it doesn't make sense that that can happen. So they're all pretty sure that there's something happening. And the museum caretaker, Donna Ebersol, says he shows up in photos that they had a family taking a picture of their son in front of the plane. And they get the film developed, and there's a man standing behind him. I have no picture of that so i can only go with what i'm told um he doesn't contain himself to that super fortress bomber and then they go on to say that it was only that type of plane that was used to carry the nuclear bombs so that's you know hey this wasn't used in any bombing but it was this type of plane used to carry bombs one and two Um, But they did say that at one point they were outside cleaning the screens on the the windshield and there wasn't any wind or anything. If you've lived in the valley, you know that 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 air, that hot, gross air Mm. just sits there, lets you bake. And as the staff's cleaning it over, he just knocks them over one by one, just knocks them all down. And they're just standing there. (laughs) But all of that leads to the craziest story that I was able to get my hands on in studying this, this tale. And one of them was about a group of vets talking and one person, Adam Osborne, hearing about a burst of Morse code that was heard in the plane in these super fast bursts that was hard to interpret. And so Adam Osborne served in the military and he was taught Morse code. And on his, on his blog, he talks about, his ability in basic training to be able to imitate his commanding officer's fist. And apparently fist is a, is a technical term. It is a term that can describe the way in which someone sends their messages. So you can imitate, like think of it as accent or cadence or flow or however you want to word it. So fist itself, you have a good fist, meaning you're, you're clear and discernible. Or you have a poor Within fist, the Morse meaning, code, right? Within the Morse code. 
So think okay. of Bletchley Park if you've seen that show on Netflix, which highly recommend. About I haven't women seen it, are... but I understand. Yeah, okay. Okay, so in the show, at least Bletchley Park, they they have a bunch of women listening to code all day long, and they go, "Oh yeah, so and so, so and so's on shift," and they come up with like names for the people because they're like, "Oh yeah, I understand." how they're talking like the way they talk is do, 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 do. of course that makes all the sense in the world that's that's billy so and so. Whoever. yeah right okay yeah great now so, i'm gonna have to watch that for sure oh my gosh it was so good it was it was good i i recommend it it so was on Osborne netflix is super i think so or okay i think so okay but bletchley park is the name of it well osborne would wait for his commanding officers to go off duty and he would imitate them on Morse code and other people would believe it. So he's retelling us a story. So we're, we're relying on his narrative. He's like, I was super good at this. And so we have to believe him. Right. But either way, he says all of this. And he said that he gets clearance to spend two nights in the plane with a friend of his and they drink tons of coffee. And the first night they're sending messages every so often using a telegraph device that he refers to as a hand key. Okay. And so it's telegraph machine that basically strapped to his leg. Well, the first night, nothing really happens. You know, they drink a ton of coffee, sends a bunch of messages, nothing happens. Night two, they repeat the same process and Osborne's friend, he dozes off and Osborne's drank a ton of coffee and he's he's got a pee. So he takes the hand key off his thigh, puts it down, leaves the plane to pee, comes back. He can't find the hand key. He's looking around for it and he's looking around for it and he can't see it. So he wakes his buddy up and his buddy goes, oh, I'm, I didn't know I fell asleep. I'm sorry, Adam. He's like, have you seen my hand key? And they look around, they can't find it. And then they hear the deet, 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 deet. They're like, well, what is that? And he's like, stop. And he just listens for it. Because it's coming from the fuselage of the plane. And it, at some point, he ends up like translating the code as snafu, snafu, situation normal, all fucked up, Kilroy. <laughs> and he tells his buddy that that's the message he heard. In the morning, the sun comes up, they find the hand key, and that's the that's the end of the story. Like he doesn't translate snafu, snafu, situation all fucked up, killed right. That's it. That's all you get. He moves on to something else. You're just like, wait, wait, go back one. Go back one, Adam. Focus, focus with me. <laughs> Explain what this means. So this message, if you were doing Morris code, what would you translate that as? Well, isn't correct me. Okay, so I have, I have a question first. Yes. Um, Adam overhears these veterans talking about having heard morse code coming from the plane so that's why he gets to stay there two nights correct okay i just wanted to make sure i understood yeah, that yeah. fully okay so my understanding is that snafu is the situation's all fucked up as normal right you like know, that's... that's incredible like i learning this i'm like yeah apparently that's the acronym yeah acronym. i, Thank I you. was like word. i had to go back to miriam webster and be like I thought it was just like a, a minor inconvenience. I thought it was something that just went minorly askew. <laughs> and Marion Wester was like, no, you're right. But I mean, we we got it from somewhere. You didn't ask for the etymology. It came from the military. Right. So <laughs> snafu, snafu, situation, normal, all fucked up. Kilroy, what would that last bit be? 
My assumption is that was a sign-off. It's a good assumption, but you're wrong. Okay. So Kilroy is a part of what they would call either everyman code or um, just World War II graffiti. That's really Which, how it started. Uh, you know, the sign Kilroy was here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah. Kilroy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Kilroy was used to denote that an American had already been there. So if you were going through enemy territory and you saw the Kilroy was here, you would go, oh my gosh, I'm not the first one. There's our, the, our boys are up ahead. Okay. Okay. Or it could be a little unsettling if you're, say, an Axis power and you see that there, you're like, ah, oh, son of a, they're here. You know? So right. This is a problem. Right. So, and I mean, I I had to post this a couple of times on social media and show it to everybody but you to make sure <laughs> you didn't see this. Because I was just like, okay, if you have been in the service, what the hell does this mean? Because Google and I can only go so far, but I know you service members use things differently than the rest of us do, which is why I thought SNAFU meant SNAFU and not an acronym. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So for it to be as a sign off Kilroy, it was basically like, yeah, everything, everything's screwy and crazy, but it is what and it is. Normal. <laughs> and an American's gone before you. But I talked to one of my dad's shipmates and he said he heard Kilroy used as a sign off regularly. It was basically like, look, it's just another bizarre, unexplainable situation. And there's no clear translation. It's just like, yeah, it just, it is what it is. I mean, that checks given yeah. yeah that's super checks <laughs> so this led to even more conversations where i was chatting with my high school friend's father who was stationed at the base back when it was operational before he retired and he recounted hearing many of the stories that i told you okay like as they were happening he, he also mentions that there's a group of retirees of the bomber and tanker squadrons that meet up monthly at the Almond Tree restaurant. And if you know, you know, for breakfast together. No way. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and so he would go there and hear a lot of these, you know, stories about Arthur told. And it was hanging out with this group. And also while he was working there, that he would get reports of airmen sneaking onto the plane and leaving a mannequin in the cockpit for a couple hours or turning on a flashlight, throwing that in the cockpit. So there's an eerie glow emanating from the cockpit. <laughs> and I love so that. He listened, like he read the Morris code because I, I posted uh, you know, a link to that that blog post and he's like gosh that's really doubtful that all of that happened none of that makes sense to me as to how it could and it seems like a bizarre message to leave in general and he's like well but i suppose snafu snafu situation normal all fucked up kilroy could just mean i'm in the afterlife it's nuts but i went ahead of you and it's not the worst okay I'll take it. And that's the story of Arthur who haunts the B-29. <laughs> I totally, in my mind, I don't know why, but this entire story, Arthur who haunts the B-29, was not 
in military fatigues ready to be the gunner for his ship but he was the sweet old librarian looking man who was just screwing with the plane <laughs> but i mean like to hear charlie be like yep smith and jones broke into the cockpit and left a mannequin there for a couple hours and made the museum caretaker shit her pants i mean that really checks with with the stories that i've heard from military <laughs> members about their free time <laughs> yeah and i think it gives a ton of credence to a lot of the other ghost stories we have oh my gosh yes where it's like no no you really did witness all of that happening but what you really need to do is go beat michael and brian to death with a chair because they're <laughs> the ones who did it to you they started it <laughs> it was your I... buddies matt and matt <laughs> and that one guy han <laughs> son of a bitch every time he's the one yeah. out there mopping the rain up rightfully so he deserves <laughs> to mop even more go vacuum the front lawn oh i saw a post the other day about a military man having to in his basic training one of the things that his co had him do all the time was sweep the sunshine off the sidewalk <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, if that is not something I would say to Ethan on the regular. <laughs> okay, so. Oh well, what, what do you got? What story are you playing with? Um, do we have time? Yeah. Cool. My, do, okay. I'm trying to figure out which direction I want to go. Do you want, you know what, never mind. Just start at the beginning. Um, my original source for this is an Atlas Obscura article. I love because, where this is going. Right. I mean, I feel like if we're doing the spooky season, Atlas Obscura has some really great starting points. Um, It's called The Haunting True Story of Bridget Cleary's Changeling Murder by Sarah Dunn. Oh. <laughs> um, okay. An Irish Times article called The Story of the Last Witch Burned Alive in Ireland by Dean Ruxton. That is from 2016. Um, and Wait, then what was the year that it was born? This or... article was this article was written in 2016. Oh, okay. For the but Irish we don't Times. know when the last witch was born burned. No, I do I do, yeah. And I'll I'll Okay, get but to that. it's not already shared yet. I'm no. just making sure that I didn't miss something. No, you have not missed anything okay. yet. Okay. Um, that I have a handful of other sources, but I didn't. I just I added them because maybe I took um maybe that one source explained it a little better. But as a whole, the story's pretty straightforward because the event was so sensational when it happened that the news coverage was insane. There was a ton of it, and I was able to procure um one of the articles from the um from the event like within a couple of days of the event happening so that was pretty fun um and wait, that wait, came from what, the... what so i have the in the irish archives have articles like they have an uh, a collection of the actual newspapers that okay. they digitally scanned you know probably yes. very similar to what you saw from from with the, the with the sunstar right? yeah yeah um, but because this event was so such a big deal, there's a lot of articles you can actually go back and see from a lot of different places. 
So I was able to okay. see some of them, which is really cool okay. and kind of helped um, place the story a little better. Yeah. Um, so with all that being said, there's also a JSTOR, JSTOR article called The Witch Burning at Colin Mail. Cole Mail. <laughs> um, but before I tell you the story, I have to ask you a question. How much do you know about Celtic mythology, specifically in reference to fairies? Not a ton, but I know fairies are not the Tinkerbells that do amazing things. I know that they are things you don't want to trifle with. Right. Okay, so, um, and in Ireland, even... Even currently, it's not as prevalent today as it was in 1895, but the belief and or respect that goes into their legends is incredibly high. I think that's probably common knowledge, but um, it you can still blame things on the fairies today and people just take it for face value. Yep, the fairies did it. <laughs> So one of the really interesting things about this area is that there are a lot of the fairy ring forts. Are you familiar with that? One more time. I was sneezing and couldn't hear you. Bless you. Are you familiar with the fairy ring forts? Have you ever heard of those? I know of fairy rings, but ring forts feels like a new term to me. Um, It's probably the same thing. So essentially it's the pre- the pre-people to what we have today, the Neolithic people and their Neolithic structures that have since turned into ruins and are very similar to like just the stone circles that we see uh, spread throughout the UK today. Okay. They're fairy rings or fairy forts. And there is a belief that that's where they, they have, I don't want to call it like an interdimensional thing, but like that's where they live. That's their All homes. Right. That's where you don't want to be caught at night <laughs> or during the day by yourself, right? Okay, so so that being like said and kind of briefly gone over, Bridget Boland was born in Ballyvadley in the county of Tipperary in Ireland, which is um, the south side of Ireland. Her parents were Patrick Boland, uh, who was a farm laborer, and his wife also called Bridget. She was born in 1869. We actually have a exact birthday. Are you, can you believe that? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty exciting. February 19th of 1869. <laughs> um, unfortunately, though, we don't know a ton about her childhood. Or we, there's belief that she had sibling, siblings, but we don't we're unclear about that. Um, we do know, though, that she was afforded an education of some sort. And by the time she was in her late teens, she was in a town called Colm Mel, and I'm going to pronounce that wrong every single time. C L O N M E L. You know what? Good. Go for it. I've, <laughs> right? I've got no way to describe Colm it. Mel. She was literate, she was fashionable, and as about as independent as a young woman at the time could be. She was working at this time at around 17, 18 years old as an apprentice to a dressmaker. And this is where she meets and marries a man named Michael Cleary. Oh. Michael Cleary oh, is 35 years old. And she's so 16? 
She's between 17 and 18. I think closer to 18. Okay. So, all not, right. Yeah. Not, I mean, not uh, the worst. like adjacent, but not. Yeah. But what is interesting about this is at the time in Ireland, it, that was a very early marriage for her. Um, oh, most, she was supposed to hold out? Most females didn't marry till they were between 23 and 25. Um, and I, wow. from what I understand, and if there's anybody out here that can clarify this for me, a lot of that had to do with the last, like, great hunger. Um, they were just, I don't even want to say holding out. Things were just being postponed later in life. Okay. And so you it was not. You waited until your family had the means to support another mouth. I think maybe, yeah. Um. So it was not common for a young lady to be married around 18, like, and especially a literate young lady. And here we have a literate, kind of self-sufficient 18-year-old that marries a man who is older than her, but fine, whatever. <laughs> Red flag adjacent, okay. as you said. <laughs> um, the other interesting thing to point out is there's a couple oddities about their marriage. When they marry, they don't actually live together for at least the first year. That feels healthy, truly. You know, like <laughs> you just want to have your own bed. You don't want to deal with the smell of their boobs. I guess. Um, but more likely it was because she was caring for her ailing mother. Because by the time they do reside together, her father lives with them as well. Well, that just makes me feel like a jerk face and really calling <laughs> out my own husband. It, You know, what are you going to do? Um, have him not listen to this episode you did you did just say he had boobs too so there's that did i say boobs i don't think i said boobs you did <laughs> you said smell I think their I said boobs. poops nope you smell said boobs. Their poops smell smell their boobs <laughs> okay whatever, fine whatever i said i stand it. by it yeah it sure is um and also Given that they were married in the Catholic way, the other odd thing about their relationship is they don't have children. They're married for eight years without children. Yeah, it kind of seems like the dream, doesn't it? Weird, right? I mean, just... Wow. Okay, carry on. Like, I'm yeah. I'm just feeling like this is my best life. It's not, trust me. Um. So... They live um, between between Mr. Cleary's work as a cooper and her work as a seamstress, as well as being she has several hens and she sells her eggs to her neighbors. They are um, more well off than most of their other neighbors. Like they live in a stone cottage instead of like your earthen thatched roof type situations that were common in sure. the era. Um, she even has her own state of the art sewing machine in her room like which is almost unheard of to be able to own something like that for this area so um like i said they are they they stand out in the crowd as being a little bit different um no children married for eight years both literate um you would call them the very fashionable of the times trendy people okay Right. Okay. So the idea that you would catch either one of them believing in former superstitious lore seems a little off kilter. 
Um, but there you have it. So needless to say, though, those eggs that she sells are probably lead to her downfall. On the afternoon of March the 4th in, 19, in 1895, she delivers some, some eggs to her father's cousin, Jack Dunn. And he lives in an area that has is the site of a ring, a fairy ring. Okay. Okay. So, according to the local folklore, this is not a place a young lady wants to be caught. Um, the idea that, like, are you familiar with changelings? Yeah. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but a changeling... Basically, you have a kid, your kid starts to to fail to thrive. So you assume that the fairy snuck in, in the middle of the night and changed it with one of their offspring. Yeah. And that your child is living in the fairy realm, doing well, doing fabulous. And so you can either be a sucker and take care of this child that is slowly dying because it's not a child at all, or you can leave it in the woods to die or kill it yourself. Yes. Okay. So you're, yeah. Yeah. So the other... The addition to that is um, there is also a belief, specifically in Ireland, I think Poland, Romania might have similar beliefs, but um, specifically in Ireland, young ladies are also uh, could be could be prey to the to the fairy realm, especially young ladies in a transitionary period. Perhaps we've just um, come into adulthood or we've just gotten married or we've just fallen pregnant. Any number of those things could be a reason why a fairy mate wished to take you. Um, and the understanding that I was able to glean from this is that they are hoping to keep that young lady to help strengthen their bloodlines on the fairy side. Right. So, which I thought that was a really interesting like how how do you come up with that <laughs> lore but I'm here for it. So needless to say she goes to deliver these eggs to her cousin or her father's cousin Jack Dunn and it's not a particularly warm day. The sun is out but there was snow on the ground and she comes back with only what could be described as a serious cold. She is completely unable to get warm and she states that she is having a raging headache. Yeah, this checks. Yeah, okay. So she she goes through the night. By the next day, several attempts are made to reach to the doctor to have the doctor come visit, but it's several days before the doctor is actually able to do so. When he finally does visit, he basically says that she has... Um, I think I think one of the sources called it bronchitis or maybe pneumonia. Could be any number of things that all relate to having, you know, you can't get warm, you have a burning fever and a raging headache, right? Right. He prescribes her some medication. She should be better within a couple of days. She is not getting better. <laughs> and um, a priest is called in to give her her last rites just in case things go south. Um at one point, a herbal doctor gets called in, and here's where the stories gets a little gets a little bit vague. Because while there is a ton of information and a ton of newspaper articles about the trial, there is not a ton of information that is that could substantiate who the herbal doctor is. He could have been Jack Dunn himself or a man named John Dunn. The way that I read them, Jack and John are the same person. Okay. 
I don't feel like that's too far of a leap. I feel like, you know, back in that day, Jack could have been a name to describe several people or right. you know, several other names. Especially when your name is John, I think Jack is one that are interchangeable, but I could be wrong on yeah. that. Yeah. But the way that I was reading the information, I think that they're the same person. So he get the anyway, this herbalist doctor or whatever you're gonna call him believes that there could be some more nefarious things afoot than just her being sick. Over the next few days, her house would be occupied by a number of relatives and neighbors amid a growing concern for her that there was or could have been supernatural elements to her illness. Trial records would later suggest that this idea had been put forward by Jack or John Dunn himself, um, stating that she must be a changeling, <laughs> that that can't possibly be the Bridget that we love. This girl isn't getting better. She must be of the devil or the fae. Right. Which so I now that you say that, I would like to point out she is called the last witch of Ireland. Mm -hmm. However, she is never associated with witchcraft or sorcery or any of the typical terms that so the um get there. I think simply because of her the way her demise happens, and I'll explain that in a minute, but um I think they really just had no other word for her. So, because okay. it was a supernatural element, she is, quote, known as a witch. But that doesn't mean that that's what they genuinely thought about her at the time. That's kind of like an afterthought. By March 14th, so now we're 10 days into this, Mary Kennedy, who is the aunt of Bridget Cleary, makes the quick half-mile walk over the bridge and up to the, up the hill to her cottage. As she approaches the house that evening, she hears shouting. When she opens the door, she sees six men holding Bridget in her bed. That would be no. That would be no. A little bit of red flags, right? Okay, so here's where it gets That's a That's not even murky. red flag adjacent. We are firmly Straight. planted in the middle of the red flag factory. Yeah. We've got the airline pilot thing, you know, the... Traffic controller, air traffic control saying these are red flags. <laughs> we are not going this direction. Yeah. Um, now, keep in mind, though, that by this point, her relatives have, are becoming more and more convinced that she is definitely a changeling, um, which to me does not make sense for Michael Cleary because he's the one, both he and Bridget are the ones that are noted as being very um, forward thinkers, not um superstitious in any way but i guess you know mob mentality has a way of changing the way you think i mean look at the jewett city vampires and like digging up your dead relatives and right <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um so she's she's not so keen on this miss kennedy she she has some concerns of why are we holding her down what are we doing um they are thomas thomas dropper Drop her, Thomas. Several of the people involved in this are Miss Kennedy's own sons. So, yeah, Dropper Thomas is high on the things being said. Okay. I bet she's probably got a broomstick in one hand. <laughs> she, they're basically feeding her this concoction of fresh milk and herbs. And supposedly this concoction is supposed to either A, exercise the changeling from her or 
cause it to escape and shoot her to be returned. Okay. But right. let's let's play devil's advocate. Let's assume that she hasn't been eating and she is long for this world. Perhaps sustenance would be helpful. <laughs> I don't agree with the being held down, but yeah, maybe their heart's in the right place. I think maybe Michael's at this point is. I don't I'm not sure how much thought is going into the rest of this aside from the superstitious beliefs that this is how you have to handle this situation, whether you want to or not. Um, Fair point. Right? So by Friday the 15th, um, tensions are running pretty high. Michael is repeatedly asking his wife who she is, and she is kind of bothered by this. And one source says that by this point, she is almost feral. She is angry. She is lashing out. She could be delusional. Like, she is very upset. And I'm team feral housewife. Let's be honest. Yeah, me too, because if I was being held down by four of my close neighbors and relatives being forced to drink milk with sour herbs in them, I would not be so delightful either at this point, right? Ask me who I am again, but bite your ear off. Pretty much. So he keeps begging her, like, please tell me who you are. And she keeps saying, I'm Bridget Cleary. I'm your wife. (laughs) Like, get it together. Um, But eventually she has had enough. Why am I the adult in the room? (laughs) Right. Eventually, she's had enough and she angers Michael by telling him that he should know who or what she is because didn't his mother also go off with the fairies? Oh, <laughs> damn. Now she's done stepped in it. She done has. Yep. Um, but you know what? At this point, I don't blame her because they haven't been treating her exactly well in this 10 days. Um <laughs> at one point yeah, he 10 days again... of being waterboarded with milk and sour herbs <laughs> yeah at one point he repeatedly again attack uh, attempts to get her to say her name while getting her to eat three slices of bread which i'm unclear about what <laughs> that does if the bread like i whatever but come on honey it's carbs you like carbs carbs are great remember right um now here is where it gets really interesting So at this point, there are multiple people in the home with them. And in one of the testimonies during the trial, the witness says that they asked, at least the women asked to leave. And Michael refused to let any of them out of the house. Oh, yeah. That word, no, the red flag adjacent is long gone. It has been burned to the ground. (laughs) Um. And here, so, okay, one story says that while getting her to eat this bread, he finally just loses it and he douses her in paraffin oil and lights her on fire. This is a normal reaction. I yeah. don't know why we're calling any attention to it. Right. Um. He shouts that this is not his wife, but a witch that he's burning. And James Kennedy, Mary Kennedy's husband yells for the love of god don't burn your wife to which he yells she's not my wife she's an old deceiver sent in place of my wife this is the margaret atwood quote that men are afraid that women will laugh at them and women are afraid that men will kill them (laughs) um the other story to this 
And I think that this might be the more accurate thing of what happened, whether he meant it or not, this is what happened. He had some type of, um, I don't want to say a poker, I'm not really sure what the item was, but he was forcing her to eat this bread while shoving this very, like, shoving the bread in her mouth with this very hot item. So her mouth has, and her throat have sustained some type of um, injuries. And one of the other beliefs uh the lore of this this fairy belief is that if you hold the changeling over fire or near fire they are afraid of it they will escape whether up through the chimney or poof or run off and then again your person will be returned to you if only nothing else was afraid of that same material weird right um the idea is that if you hold them over a fire inside the house like in the hearth like a fireplace that the fairy will escape or the changeling will escape through the chimney um okay so i'm unclear as to why they believe that um, but i would love to hear some some legends about that but so i think likely what happened is she is bent over the fire having forced this and her chemise her nightgown gets caught on fire at which point he either a dumps the oil on her or b accidentally pours it on her at, i'm thinking he purposely dumps it on her though based on the I old mean, man yelling for the love of god don't burn your wife let's assume let's assume that it's not malicious intent and that it's just ignorance but good god yeah um so as i said he yelled back um she's not my wife she's an old deceiver sent in place of my wife later that night he buries her in a shallow grave about a quarter mile from the cottage and i learned a new word wait a minute wait a minute okay he drags her a quarter mile away but digs a shallow grave. Why Why don't you switch those? Why don't you just bury her right outside, but give her a good old six feet deep deal? I, I honestly think at this point he was manic. I don't think forethought or any kind of planning was put into this. Um, to make it worse, she was buried in like a marshy bog type area, which typically preserves a body well, but in her case... Please say we find her. Please say we find her. We do. Um, but hopefully now I'm not spoiler alerting. Anyway, I learned a new word because of this story. Have you ever heard of the term immolated? Yes. I did not know that. That is the phrase to be used when you burn someone alive. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So either she... It can be used along with conflagration as well. Okay. So... She was um, either burned alive or her body was set on fire immediately after the death. Um, And the husband states that he 100% believed that she had been abducted by the fairies and was replaced with a changeling. And then proceeds to spend the next three nights waiting on the hill next to the fairy ring, believing that since she had passed... For the that the fairies would return the true Bridget any moment. Yeah, he believed that she would come galloping through the ring fort on a white horse. He'd cut her free, and they would return home together. Oh, that is so sad. Yeah. Um. So that being said, um, 
So she doesn't come home. I'm assuming this is like Lassie and not like a normal Disney flick. Yes, she does not come home. She is located a few days later. Um, While Michael is waiting on the hill, the police have been informed and they have enough. Oh, I'm glad they've just now been informed. I think that they had. I'm not sure if that the police had knowledge before this, but the neighbors definitely were involved in some way, whether they were directly involved or they were the ones that like there were other neighbors that alerted the authorities. But while he's waiting for her to appear on the white horse, the police are collecting evidence and gathering witness statements and they are able to attain a warrant. They find her body and arrest him. So he does go to trial, which I was really hoping to get the trial notes because there are, like, you can go read the transcripts of the trial notes. However, they are in the Irish archives, and I have yet to figure out how to properly um, access them. Um, the Irish archives give a really wonderful story and write up and tell you which archive to like which note you want to read to to read about that. But they I was unable to directly read the court transcripts. But thankfully, <laughs> the newspapers were allowed in the courtroom at the time and they basically um, word for word it for you. So you don't have to necessarily log into the Irish archives to do it. You can just read the newspapers if you can get your hands on them give you a brief roundup of the trial and then I will tell share some of the newspaper article notes with you. Oh hell All yeah. 10 people who had been in the house in the days leading up to the murder were arrested. Only the men were given sentences ranging anywhere from 6 months to 20 years in the case of Michael Clary. Trial records indicate that there was a witness as young as 10 years old. It was Bridget's cousin. Oh. Um the daughter of Joanna Burks, who was one of the um, ladies that came in in her sickness to, you know, try to help out, clean the house and things like that for her. Um, And interesting enough, I thought this was really a fun fact in the newspaper article. They point out that when Joanna Burks gives her statement, her witness statement, which was the one that really put the nail in the coffin for everybody, she is sitting in the statement in the witness box with her infant in her lap. Like, she showed up. And so I thought it was interesting that the newspaper included that because it gives, it shows you what it's like to be a woman in 1895 in Ireland. And how you, all the things you had to go through to stand up for somebody else because you had every excuse to not be in that witness box at that moment. Yeah. Um, there are some writers because like i said the story was so sensational it's been written about and talked about and studied all over the place there are some that believe that joanna burks may have um exaggerated her story a little bit may have been more involved than she said for a number of different reasons but the fact of the matter is she told the story and it's what put michael clary in prison and that's what matters whether he, it happened exactly as she said we'll never know because we weren't in the room right. but that's how witness statements work right um, we do we do know that michael did fully believe by this point that she 
was a changeling and she needed to be removed of this and so there's that but all that to say um john dunn the neighbor who (laughs) was the one that announced that he thought she was a fairy he was also arrested and convicted for his part in the play in in the event patrick boland bridget's father who was very aware of what was going on and may have been in the room at that exact moment pathetically asks the judge to be allowed to go home quote i want to go home for because i am losing my sight the sergeant can see me every day because i am only a half mile for him and you can see your way to be decent towards me i would be very grateful to you he was allowed please to go say home. he gets the backhand of justice nope he was allowed to go home that is bullshit i know because yeah <clears throat> he does have his moment but and which hopefully i can share that note with you but he does have his moment so there's that um <laughs> the judge justice william o'brien was super not impressed by michael cleary refuting the statements of everybody made about his actions <laughs> He basically says to him, your wicked hand sent her to another world in the very prime of her life. The young woman confided in you, confided to you her affections and her love, and you most wantonly and cruelly, bitterly betrayed her. You demonstrated a darkness of degree in the mind. He sentenced Cleary to 20 years hard labor. Good. Yeah. And if you're curious, because I was, what happened to Michael Cleary after that? <laughs> um... He was released on license from Maybro Prison on April 9th, about 15 years after his sentencing. Um, so this is April 9th, 1910. He goes to Liverpool. His gratuity that he is released on is uh, 17 pounds, I think, uh, which is less okay. than what his wife kept in the trunk under their bed. Oh, <laughs> Uh, Cleary afterwards immigrates to Montreal, Canada and is never heard from again. There is no further record of his life. I'm very, very curious about what he did in Montreal, Canada, but unfortunately there's no public record about him. So, And because this is Ireland and because children do what children do, they come up with a delightful little ditty. Would you like to hear their delightful ditty? No, I'm here for it. That's mm-hmm. uh, honestly the sole reason why I signed up was hoping you'd sing to me. Uh, well, you know, I'm not so sure that's something that you sing, but it is something the little girls would jump rope to. Are you a witch or are you a fairy or are you the wife of Michael Clary? Oh, <laughs> uh, gnarly, right? Um, what's interesting to note about this is Britain used this scandal to discredit the home rule movement, which... Um, basically was ireland's um campaign for self-government they this is why we can't leave you guys alone (laughs) you know you guys obviously need a babysitter because the last time we left you you burned one of your wives Uh, in a not nice way i mean not burning your wife ever is nice but yeah um so they basically used it to show how backwards the irish Uh, especially in the rural areas, how backwards their ideas were and fears that were still very real for the Irish at the time. Um, So now that I've said all that, would you care to hear a couple of bits from the trial based in the newspaper that I found? Please. Okay. Let me see. 
I gotta pull them up because I copied them because unfortunately I can't copy and paste. Uh, mm. Take take it, you witch. When the door was open, opened, witness went in and saw Dune, excuse me, Dunn, and three of the Kennedys holding Mrs. Clary down on her bed by the hands and feet, and her husband was giving her herbs and milk on a spoon out of a saucepan. They forced her to take the herbs, and Clary asked her again, Are you Mary Boland, the wife of Michael Clary, in the name of God? She answered it once or twice, and her father asked similar questions. And then she goes on to say that um, he then throws a certain Michael. She sees him then throw a certain liquid over his wife, and they put the question to her again, and she used this to repeat the words after them. Again, I am Bridget Boland, the wife of Michael Clary. Dunn oh. then said, hold her over the fire and she will soon answer. Dune Clary and uh, Mr. Kennedy then lifted Miss Clary off the bed and placed her in a kind of sitting position over the kitchen fire, which was a slow burning one. She Her appearance had greatly changed. You know, because you're sick, you have a super high fever, your husband's basically been spoon feeding you gross beverages screaming at you and screaming at you your your appearance is certainly going to look fashionable i'm sure um she seemed to be wild and deranged especially while they were treating her while they held her over the fire she oh excuse me i lost my place while they held her over the fire she had only her nightdress and chemise on. They repeated the question, and she answered, I am Bridget Bolin, daughter of Pat Bolin. In the name of God, she screamed and cried out to the witness. Um, it goes on. There's, there's so much. The newspaper recorded every little bit. And I think it's so interesting because our newspapers today do not give us um, nearly the... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, nearly the same amount of attention that detail. they, yeah, detail attention that they gave back then. Um, at one point, Patrick Bolin, the father, basically tells Michael, like, "No, that was my daughter, and you, you ruined her. She, oh, and but at the same time, he didn't try to stop him during the events. Yeah, so." Um, it was a really at first when I read the first little article, I was like, "Holy cow, this is wild!" The fact that this happened in 1895, which is really not that long ago. <laughs> no, no. Um, and that it was such a a very real belief, but it made me think about a handful of things. One, the whole delicious idea of mob mentality, where one person yep. can suggest an idea and then everybody automatically believes it. Um, and the idea that a lot of authors have put out there is that it had really nothing to do with her actually being a changeling and everything to do with her being an independent woman of the future and how that is a terrifying thing for man to accept. Yeah, because it threatens their position as the top right. of the food chain. And as I was reading over those comments, because a lot of authors make similar um, similar assumptions, I guess, I'm sure that that was probably in play, but I, I genuinely don't believe in this particular case 
that was what their first thought was. I think given where they are and what they're going through in the world at that time, the superstitious beliefs are still very, very strong. So even if Michael and Bridget didn't actually ascribe to those beliefs, a lot of neighbors still did. Right. And so it is unfortunate that she would be seen as this fashionable, forward-thinking, trendy lady that is independent and goes on walks on her own against her husband's wishes um, and and handles her business and is seen as almost a villain type character that had this coming is an awful thought. But it's even more awful to think that superstition had a power in it. But all that yeah. to say, that's my story of Bridget Cleary and her changeling murder. She is considered wow. the last witch burned in Ireland in 1895 dang yeah and i do have the the jazz store article if you want it i can send you the um the news reels for it yeah i would um, i would love to to study up on that they're very lengthy which is why i did not include um a ton of the verb like a ton of them in quotes because there's a lot like the newspaper article i just read you a couple of paragraphs of was like four pages long so um but it, it it's a for me it was a really fun look into i know that's a terrible word to use given the situation but it was a fun look into what ireland was like in 1895 in the rural areas and what superstitious beliefs still held so much power not that long ago and the fact that people still say today that it was the fairy's fault (laughs) oh my gosh so i brought you true crime and supernatural no you're right this was one (laughs) of my favorite stories that you've told me thus far i had a feeling that it would be i was very very excited to read it and at first i was like i can't do murder this is scary (laughs) But then I was like, wait a minute. Yes, I can. I know where this is going. No, yeah, you you <laughs> definitely you, you darn right you can because I'm the one who walks through woods with a murder podcast in my ears and my husband going like following my location on the tracker going, where, "What is she doing? <laughs> she said she needed to take a nice calm walk, right? When did she- Why does she have the shovel?" <laughs> I t- so I took a walk yesterday and one of our parks nearby is is very woodland, very forested, and I'm listening to I mean, honestly, at this point, it wasn't it wasn't a true crime podcast. I was listening to an, an Agatha Christie audio book. But, you know, honestly, Same that's thing. it's adjacent. And Hubs was watching me go through different trails and not necessarily seeing the trails marked out. He's like, it's like she took her phone and threw it and then went <laughs> to go get it and then threw it somewhere else. There was no rhyme or reason to the directions that this was saying she was going. <laughs> so, so he was yeah. panicked. A bit. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. It was fun. And next week we may or may not cover spooky stories because now we are we are through spooky season. So if you've enjoyed spooky season <laughs> with Angie and Teresa and you can't wait to see what stories we come up with next week, rate, review, subscribe, let us know, and we'll talk to you later. Goodbye.